Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed Local Provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, security sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIP. Welcome to Money MD. Money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marvin, a certified financial planner and an investment advisor with over 20 years' experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey local provider. also have an MBA in finance and been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years. And I'm Gordon Leppard, financial advisor with Richard Young Associates. Good to be here today, guys. Yeah, good Saturday. It is a great Saturday, and we are excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly radio show. We are right here every Saturday like today from 9 to 10 a.m. You can also go to our website, moneymd.net. We have a link in the top right-hand corner that you can stream us from the comforts of your house, or uh, you can listen to a podcast if you happen to miss a show. We have them all uh, uh, saved out on the, uh, the web. And uh, make it easy to listen. Yeah, no excuse for not listening to Money Doctors on Saturday morning. And also, um, email us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. Or, again, you can link to us on our website, moneymd.net. Well, guys, um, we have an exciting show. But before that, you know, we have some exciting football today and next Saturday. And isn't this just a great season? I mean, Unbelievable, not, really. Not really. Not, not a huge response. Un- not really. Unbelievable. Not, yeah. <laughs> not really. We, we're still, uh, Georgia and Carolina are still tied with Clemson on a number of wins, so I don't know what you keep crowing about over there. Yeah, but. right. You add them all together yeah, and the right, number of wins, know. but the losses, y'all have us beat quite a bit on the uh, yes, losses this do. year, right? Yeah, Carolina's yeah. Uh, playing hard. I like the effort, but um, yeah, just one of those years kind of rebuilding here, so we'll we'll see who they get as a new coach. But yeah, Clemson keeps winning. Georgia won last week. Um, Tech, in there. Um, I think Tech lost to, uh, to Virginia, I believe. Um, so tough seasons for some local, but man, Clemson's just killing it. I know that's... I hope they continue. You know, know, it'll be interesting today. I mean, they have Syracuse, and so <laughs> Yeah, you know, even though these teams that we have left, you know, don't have a winning season, i.e. Carolina, for hey, instance. Hey, hey. Hey, anything can happen. We know that, so we're not going to get here. And- our, our bowl game will be playing against number 1 Clemson at Williams-Brice, so that'll be fun. We'll see. That will be an interesting game. It will, it'll will. it be interesting to see how powerful we, uh, you know, Clemson yeah. is because we, we do tend to stumble in yeah. that situation. Yeah, we'll so. See. I mean, if we're strong enough, you know, we should be able to keep our composure and come yeah. back from the big turnovers or whatever it is that we sure. that we mess up. So it should be interesting. All right, guys, we'll back to uh, finances here. We have a great show lineup for today. You know, we're going to start off with the five tax tracks, traps for a surviving spouse. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're a widow or widower, you know, there are some things you have to be careful of or it can cost you a bundle in taxes. So we're going to go through those. And even if you're not in that situation, almost everybody knows somebody that's in that situation. Mm-hmm. So this is very useful information that you'll be able to help somebody in a very difficult time. Yeah, that's right. And then we're going to f- follow up that with an article from Dave Ramsey. It's five traits. 
uh, fulfilled people. So kind of a, a, a soft uh, article, if you will, I'm not talking about you know budgets or investments or so forth, but it, it's looking at people that um, that are generally happy and what they do and some of the steps that they take to, to get to that point. So you'll want to stick around for that one as well. That's right. And then, then we'll look at the real-life investment uh, tortoise. You know, Dave Ramsey, he also sat down with a billionaire a while back, and he was asking this billionaire, he said, you know, what are, what are some good books? What's something that you could share with me, you know, so that I could gain a little more knowledge? And uh, the billionaire told him, he said, the tortoise and the hare. Mm-hmm. And Dave was like, really? <laughs> you know, that's, that's all you're going to give me? But he said that he read it, and he read it, and he read it, and he kept reading it, and it finally clicked. But uh, here, here's kind of a, a real-life example of someone that just kept steady plotting and uh, really focused on value, you know, something that we talk about and that we focus on a lot, uh, the value um, investment. So it'll be interesting. Yeah. That's great. Slow and steady wins the race, mm-hmm. right? That's right. Yeah, that's the way Clemson's doing this year. Slow and steady, <laughs> just plodding their way through the season. Yes, they are. Let's hope they win the race. We'll see. All right, but we're going to start off here, though, with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from uh, a uh, an investment strategist from S&P Capital. His name is uh, Stovall, Sam Stovall. And um, interesting stat, guys. It's not something to, to act on, but since 1945, the S&P 500 has risen 77% of the time in the fourth quarter, and the average gain was about 3.8%. Now, you know, there's an average there of 3.8. Sounds really exciting and so forth, but there's been some horrible fourth quarters uh, as well. You look back to 2008, 1987 was a challenging time. So you, you don't make investment decisions based on that. It's just a fact. It's a fun fact. But, you know, a lot of people will look at facts and they'll make their investing decisions on it, which is the wrong answer. You should not do that. And the disclaimer there is that we're not trying to predict the future here in the fourth quarter. Yeah, that's we're, right. Uh, we're just sharing some uh, historical data information. Yeah, and October yeah. was a, a strong and we're also month. a great start. But you, you're right. Quarter. We don't try to predict the, the markets. But, you know, a lot of times people will look back and say, well, what do markets do during presidential elections? And they try to make their investment decisions based on that bad, bad strategy. Don't don't do that. You know we did a sh- we did a show on that a little while back. Yes, we did. We'll probably do another uh, year. Last true. year we'll probably revisit presidential that. election coming up. Yeah. yeah. Hey, but it is a reason to be optimistic, though. Mm-hmm. You know, and I like optimism. Yeah, and so that's right. fourth quarter is a stronger quarter than the other quarters historically. So hey, be optimistic. That's you know, right. Things are looking up. Yep. There you go. All right. Well, our next topic here though is the five tax traps for surviving spouses. Um. Yeah, I mean, guys, you know, death and taxes are not necessarily a fun topic to talk about, but it is very important to think about these things ahead of time and do some planning to avoid some of the major pitfalls. And we certainly have seen some clients over the years make some some mistakes that cost them a lot of money, you know, following the death of a spouse. And it's a time when you're very vulnerable, you know, to make rash decisions. I mean, you may be... Um, worse, you know, might not make any decision at all. And that, you know, as I've told Kathy many times, no decision is a decision, mm-hmm. right. you know, and it can cost you. So, I mean, while taxes are not the first thing on someone's mind after the death of their spouse, there are some things like taxes that can't be ignored for very long. And, you know, a recently widowed spouse faces some special tax considerations, some of which need to be dealt with well before the next tax filing deadline. So you need to pay attention to these. So while we all hope we'll never face that situation of having to deal with the death of a spouse, 
you know, we all know people close to us who have, so it would be great if you could offer them some valuable advice next time you have that opportunity. So here are five things that you need to know about taxes if your spouse recently passed away or if you're you're trying to help a family member or friend who recently had a spouse pass away. Yeah, and these, you know, this one I'm going to cover is talking about tax penalties for, um, you know, RMDs, required minimum distribution. Complicated topic. You're probably going to want to partner with a CPA, maybe a financial advisor as well. We do. We do certainly do calculations on that. But, you know, guys, if, the, if you don't pull out money, um, you know, of your deceased spouse IRA, there are very big penalties. Um, you know, the tax penalty for not doing so is a staggering 50% of the amount that was supposed to be withdrawn. So as an example, let's say you have a $200,000 IRA and you needed to pull out, let's say, 20000 of it. Um, that could be a ten thousand dollar penalty. So, I mean, those are some very big numbers. So, you want to make sure that that you that you have that RMD set up and you understand that that has to be taken out this year. Um, you know, if they if your you know spouse passed away, so it's something that you really want to spend some time on. Yeah, if your spouse was over age seventy and a half, then they have to take an RMD every year, right? right? Required minimum distribution. And so, even if they died in December, if they were planning to take that distribution in December, didn't do it, had not done it up to that point, you still have to take that distribution before the end of the year. So sometimes you have a very compressed time period mm-hmm. to get this done. So you need to be careful. I mean, many surviving spouses are unaware of that requirement. And, you know, uncertain whether their their spouse, you know, took the distribution or not. So um, you just need to, to be careful about that. You know, check with your CPA. I mean, the deadline is April 1st or April it can be April 15th. I mean, if they just turned 70 and a half that particular year. But in most cases, it's the end of the year. Right. So you need to be careful about that. I mean, the financial institution um, that holds your spouse's retirement account, they can help you determine whether RMDs are up to date and whether or not it's required and, and what the re- required distribution is. Um, but just be careful about that particular situation. Yeah, and if and if you do miss that uh, particular withdrawal, then there is a way to ask for a little IRS mercy. And yep. uh, by taking the IRS form uh 5329, that's 5329 additional taxes on qualified plans, and filling that out, sending it in with a letter explaining what happened and asking for a waiver of the penalty. You know, sometimes the IRS, they'll waive it, and particularly in in cases where the owner died late in the year uh, and the beneficiary, they they just miss it, you know. Sometimes they are uh, a little more lenient on that. Yeah, that's a great point. So there is a way to ask for forgiveness there from the IRS. So um, I've never actually seen that done, but, you know, hopefully that works. That, and at least you know you have the option there. It exactly. never hurts to ask. Exactly. Yeah, well, the next one here on the list is, you know, you have just nine months to preserve your deceased spouse's estate tax exemption. Um, now, this is not something that applies to a lot of people because the estate tax exemption is very large. It's $5.4 million per person. But for a spouse, it's $10.8 million. And, you know, before you dismiss this too too quickly, I mean, think about the fact that the spouse, the surviving spouse, you know, if, if that's you, I mean, you may live another 20 years after your spouse has deceased. So 
your estate could grow. You could inherit a lot of money. A lot of things can happen between now and the time you pass away that could push you up above, you know, one of these limits. So when we come back from the break, we'll talk more about this one and what it really means. Um, but if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates during regular business hours at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Barber, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider. And Gordon Leppard, who is a financial advisor at Richard Young Associates, along with us. And we are continuing our discussion here before the break about the five tax traps for a surviving spouse. Um, yeah, guys, I mean, you know, death and taxes are not really a fun topic, obviously. But there are some important things that if you are in that unfortunate situation where your spouse passes away, there's some things you need to take care of or else they could cost you big in terms of taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, or missed opportunities. So we're going to talk about those. When we talked about the first one here, which was the the massive tax penalty that you face if you're you're over seventy and a half, or your spouse was over seventy and a half, and you're required to take a required minimum distribution, you only have to the to the end of the year to do it. So even if you know your spouse dies in December, if they haven't taken that distribution, you still have to continue and take that distribution before the end of the year. Yeah, there is a form I think uh, Gordon mentioned that you can file, but um, you know that means you probably need to work with a CPA or a financial advisor that does RMDs and mentioned we do uh, RMD calculations and help our clients with that, but it is confusing. I mean, there's some details that you have to make sure, otherwise there's going to be big penalties. That's right. It's a staggering 50% penalty for un- any RMD amount that you did not take uh, during the tax year, so you don't want to miss that one. You know, and another one here we just started on was you have just nine months to preserve your spouse's estate tax exemption. Um, so that means that you, you have to file a form to uh, take advantage of your state tax exemption um, for your spouse. And, and that essentially doubles the exemption that's available to the second spouse because for each person, there's a $5.4 million exemption. I know that sounds huge. Mm-hmm. And so that does put most people out of this category of having to worry about this. But, you know, keep in mind, I mean, that includes life insurance and, you know, maybe another 20 years of living yeah. that could add to that. Yeah, and they can also change the uh, the amount, right? They've, they could. They, you know, depends on the, the, the direction of the wind on taxes. So they could reduce that to a million or 600 or some much smaller number. Which could result in oh, yeah. a ton of taxes. Yes. Yeah, so right now, if you get double that $5.4 million, that's $10.8 million that's exempt from estate taxes or gift taxes. Um, but, you know, there's an often overlooked deadline that has to be met for you to get this, and that's the IRS Form 706 um, tax return. That's the estate tax return. It has to be filed within nine months of the date of death. The nine-month deadline often gets overlooked because it's it's before the tax filing deadline, right? It's only nine months. So even people who work with tax professionals sometimes might not learn about this until it's too late. And some widows and widowers... 
um, don't bother preserving that exemption of the first spouse to die because their combined assets are a lot less than the current exemption. But like we said, that's a gamble. You know, I mean, your assets could expand. You could inherit money. I mean, for example, a $2 million estate, you know, left to a wife um, that doesn't bother to preserve that exemption. If she lives another 20 years, during that time, the couple's assets could climb to a value of maybe, you know, five or six, eight million dollars. Who knows? Um, they could inherit more money. Um, there's a lot can happen, you know, between that first death and the second death. Um, and the estate tax exemption could change as well, as you mentioned, John. And, but, you know, keep in mind, is a 40, estate taxes are 40 percent. That's a huge tax. If there is two million dollars left, there's going to be like eight hundred thousand dollars of tax to pay, you know, all because you didn't file a, a, a stupid form. And it's, so, and it's been fifty five percent as well. I mean, they, they right. changed that number around also. That's an expensive piece of paper. Yes. That's exactly right. <laughs> so the next one here is uh, timing of real estate sales. Absolutely, and guys, that can make a major uh, difference on the tax consequences as well. And some widows and widowers find it emotionally difficult to sell the family home, even when it makes little sense to continue to live there. And uh, you know, if the home's value has climbed significantly since it was purchased, uh, there could be a tax reason not to wait too long. And here it is. The married couples typically can exclude up to uh, $500,000 of profits from the sale of their principal rep, uh, residence from capital gain taxes. But a single person can only exclude up to 250000 So, you know, you know, unmarried widows and widowers can, can uh, qualify for the full 500 exclusion, but only if the home is sold within two years of the date of the spouse's death. So, you know, make sure you don't cut it too close to that two-year deadline because it could take months um, to, to sell the house. So um, that's a that's a big deal, $250,000, you know, shielded 15% type rate. I mean, you're talking about a $37,000 tax bill that you want to consider. Yeah, I mean, that, that could be huge. So if you don't plan to stay in the house, you know, you want to – you want to make that happen within two years. I mean, also, I mean, other widowers and, and widows, they want to sell their house quickly after a loss sometimes because the spouse, um, you know, is not around and it's too painful to live in the house without their, their life partner, um, maybe because they need the money or because they can't maintain the property on their own. But selling it too quickly sometimes can also lead to unnecessary taxes. So, you know, you have to be careful here. The capital gains tax exclusion um, can only be claimed if you have used the property as your primary residence for at least two of the last five years, and it has been at least two years since you last claimed that exclusion on the cellular property. So, in other words, you know, to qualify for this rule, if you haven't lived in it two years yet, you need to wait a year, maybe, if you if you only lived in it one year. Um, or if you just claim that exemption on a previous sale within the last two years, you need to wait till that two-year period is up. So these rules are kind of tricky. You need to consult a tax advisor and make sure that you uh, you know take advantage of this real estate tax exemption um, properly. Well, so. and, and that's a good point, Steve. It really. Um, Consulting a tax advisor, someone that can help you walk through this process and, and look at it very closely. You know, even whenever it comes down to, to filing your taxes, uh, you might still qualify for joint tax rates during the years following your spouse's death. You know, married couples who file their taxes jointly, they, they receive a higher tax standard deduction 
uh, than single people. Plus, they have more favorable tax brackets and higher income limits on many of the tax deductions and credits that are offered. Um, the death of your spouse does not necessarily mean you no longer qualify for that. So, you know, widows and widowers can file jointly for the year of the spouse's death, even if the spouse died early during that year. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, also, I mean, if there's one or more dependent children in your household, you can file as a qualifying widower or widow for two years beyond the year in which you're, you were widowed, um, assuming you haven't remarried. So that's another opportunity to um, to to extend that out and take advantage of the the joint uh, tax brackets. Um, and the last one here is, you know, you generally do not have to pay income taxes on life insurance benefits except for one exception, if the insurer pays you interest on a policy's death benefits, say you agreed to a deferred payout, you know, an installment payout, then the interest will be taxable at your ordinary income rate. So, again, you just need to consult a tax advisor about that. So these are some really important um, tax considerations for surviving spouses, so make sure you don't fall into those traps. Okay, and that leads us up here to the question of the week. Yeah, this question has to do with um, uh, savings and trying to earn you know, additional uh, return on the savings. And so here's the question, and this actually came from a, uh, a client um, a, a couple of weeks ago. My mom has a lot of money in CDs and, and basically makes nothing, like maybe half a percent. Uh, is there anything else that she can invest her money in? And so the amount of money, it makes a difference. Um, mom was 90, is 90 years old, and um, she has 24-hour care, so there's about $80,000 a year in expenses. And so the amount of money that mom has is about $2 million. And so they're wow. scared to do anything with that $2 million that would be risky. And so what we kind of talked about is the bucket approach. So take 10 years of mom's expenses, $800,000, and keep it in cash just to keep it safe, and the other $1.2 million, put it into a, a portfolio, diversified portfolio, and try to grow it. Because in reality, in that situation, the kids are likely going to inherit sure. a lot of that money. So you're really investing it, not just with mom's you know, time horizon. That's right. You're looking at the kids as well. So, you know, there's not a lot of um, solutions out there that, that you don't lose liquidity or have some risk in it to get a higher rate of return. So in that, this specific case, just break it into buckets. You know, have a bucket that's really conservative, leave it there in the half a percent, and then try to grow the other piece of it. Yeah, and I mean, even if you want to be very, very conservative with the money, you can still invest it in maybe a diversified portfolio of fixed income investments, mm-hmm. you know, like like short-term bond funds, um, you know, high-quality, high you know, government bonds or corporate bonds of varying, you know, maturities. But I'd keep it short in today's environment. But still, those would be liquid if they're mutual funds. And, um, you know, you might get 2 3% a year out of that. Right. Um, so that's another option to get you better than the half percent, you know, that you get in a CD at the bank. Mm-hmm. But You can uh, obviously put it in a fixed annuity um, that's going to – probably give you a 2% yield, but you're going to lock it up for five years. So, exactly. you know, liquidity is is a concern. So you have to look at the situation on what you want your money to do. Emergency funds, we recommend just keeping it in cash, and it's just not going to earn a lot in today's market. Yeah, but you're only talking about three, six months worth yeah, of expenses right. in an emergency fund. The other money, I would say, invest it in something diversified, get a higher return. Right. And like you mentioned, in this particular situation, you know, the majority of the money probably right. has a lot longer time horizon because it's going to be passed down to the kids. Sure, so sure. keep that in mind when you pick an allocation 
for that money. But that's a great question of the week. All right, that leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net. Or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages and Gina News. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is a financial advisor at Richard Young Associates, along with us. And we are going to um, lead off our next segment here with a new topic, and that is the five traits of fulfilled people. And I would add to that successful people, John. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And this is from Dave Ramsey, um, recent article. And, um, you know, you, you know them when you see them. I, I was, as I reflected on this article, there's some folks that I know um, that they're, they fit this mold, and they are. They're, um, those are the people that are always cheerful. They're smiling, rarely complain. Uh, everything, everything they uh, touch seems to turn to gold. I mean, they're successful, yet they're humble. They're uh, influential, yet compassionate. And the thing is, is that's who they are. I mean, it's not made up. It's not fake. It's um, it, it's real. And and so that's what you get, whether you're in public or behind closed doors. And what makes them that way is is the question that Dave's asking here. And how can we all start living our lives a little more like they do? And uh, these people are fulfilled, and it's a way of life um, that we can all adopt for ourselves. I mean, we can take these lessons and, and go apply them. It just requires taking on some of the traits of these fulfilled people and living our lives intentionally. And I think that's a key word that I talked to, you know, we talked to people on is being intentional, making decisions about your money, about your life and so forth and being intentional about it. So here are five, five of the uh, not so secret secrets. Yeah, exactly. You know, number one here on the list is to have a plan. Um, And this is a good one. I mean, fulfilled people, they know where they want to go in life and they know how to get there um, or how they plan to get there. And not only that, but they're also not bogged down in the hopelessness that it will never happen. You know, I mean, they're full of hope in the future and they're optimistic that their hard work and their prayers, you know, will pay off in the end and they'll see their plans become a reality. It's interesting because Kathy tells me more than more often than not, she says, you know, I'm the most optimistic person that she knows, you know, because I could pull into the parking lot. I'll always drive to the front. I'll say, ah, you know, somebody will be leaving. You know, yeah. we'll get a parking spot in the front. And she's like, you're just like hopelessly optimistic, <laughs> you know, but, uh, well, you know, I really believe that helps. You know, I think optimism helps you to succeed. Yep. I mean, I think it helps you. To, if you believe you're going to get there, I think you're more likely to get there. It's an attitude. I agree. And so when he, when he talks about the plan, I think about you know, we're talking on a financial show. Financial is a piece of it, but there's also personal health, um, spiritual, you know, family and so forth. So it's a lot of different facets of your life that you have a plan on. It's intentional. You know, it's it's reading books. It's, um, you know, giving and so forth. And we'll talk about some more of those. But the plan is not just financial. It's it's a, across a myriad of, of uh you know, sectors of your life. That's right. A lot of it has to do with attitude, John. I'm, I'm really glad that you brought this topic here to the table. You know, number two is about gratitude. Gratitude and attitude. Mm-hmm. You know, whether you're making $30,000 a year or $300,000 a year, you know, fulfilled people, they're grateful no matter where they are. 
and they're thankful for those blessings. You know, the, they don't always long for the next bigger and better thing. Instead, they just they celebrate their accomplishments and who they are now, rather than comparing themselves to the Joneses. You know, they they don't get in that rat race, and they they may have the best of, or they may not actually have the best of everything, but they make the best of everything that they do have. And in in short, you know, their hearts are content. They're at peace. Yeah, gratitude is has that word attitude in there, right? So right. we talked exactly. about being optimistic and so forth. Number three here on the list is they don't let their money control their lives. And sure, we all need money to survive, but um, here's where fulfilled people dif- differ a lot from the rest of us, that money does not rule their lives. I mean, they take control of their finances re- rather than letting their finances control them. And it's an attitude that, that um, shift that plays a huge role in our happiness. I mean, we tell our money where to go, and uh, it puts us in the driver's seat so that, you know, look at uh, giving and saving and spending and so forth. So it's being intentional about those different areas of your life and making sure that you're, you know, making the right decisions uh, associated with it, which leads us right into the next one that, um, you know, a trait of fulfilled people is that they're debt free. And guys, I, I know when I sit down with someone that that's debt free, you can just, you can feel it. <clears throat> you can see it yep. in their, in their attitude. Yeah. I mean, the economy may be, you know, horrible or whatever, and they have no debt and they have a lot more bills. confidence. Absolutely. And so not only do fulfilled people take control of the money, but they take it one step further. They get to be debt free. And so what's the difference? I mean, people who choose not to worship money uh, may still have debt, even though they're probably on their way out based on their planning associated with it. So, But those who do completely uh, reach the debt-free level, it's a different level. I mean, I see people going into retirement with debt versus without debt, and it's a different feeling. I mean, it is stressful when you have debt going into retirement. It's huge. There's no question about it. I mean, you are so much more free to enjoy retirement to follow God's plan for your life. You're not a slave to debt or anything else out there. I mean, you are fully in control of what you do with your finances if you don't have anybody you have to pay. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, we all have to pay taxes and utilities and things, but, you know, debt is a whole nother level, and you don't want to be under that burden, particularly when you're in retirement. Um, But, yeah, I mean, as a result of being debt-free, you know, not only is their attitude toward money different, but they're actually able to live free of bondage of the bills, the payments, the interest, and the collectors. I mean, they can direct money toward other bigger goals, you know, um, emergency savings, retirement, a house, college, generous giving. I and mean, there's so much more you can do if you are if you are totally debt-free. Yeah, one thing that you know, Dave gets criticized sometimes for talking to people about building wealth and, you know, making money and so forth. But he's a big believer that, you know, about giving. And so when you do build wealth, you're able to help people and, and help, you know, a mother in, in need or, you know, help a, a kid, you know, a child with um, student loans or something like that. So I think that last piece of it is it gives you the opportunity to be generous. That and it, and it puts you in a position to be able to tackle the hard times when they do come. You know, because another thing he always says, and this is one of my favorite expressions he uses, is life happens. You know, and when life happens, you're in a position to deal with those issues, just like, a, you know, quite a few people here locally are dealing with some of the layoffs and closing of, you know, some local companies. In fact, one person that's in our FPU class that we just finished up, uh, you know, they told me, they said, all this is happening, but we feel at peace because we're in a much better position to deal mm-hmm. with the layoff than we were before. And, and structuring their money, uh, you know, has, has a lot to do with where they're Yeah, going. I think... 
I think it just frees you up, you know, I mean, to really follow God's plan for your life, you know. And as a Christian, I just think that, you know, being out of debt and being financially solid just allows you to be so much more used, you know, for his purpose. And like you said, to be intentional, to have a purpose-filled life, you mm-hmm. know, with, with his purpose, really, for for what he wants you to do. And uh, so it's just a powerful, powerful situation to be in. You you want to be out of debt. That's it, a big key. And you talk about, you know, life throwing your curveballs. Think about the, the flooding that just happened in Columbia and oh, yeah. all the people yeah. that it impacted. I mean, most of those people did not have flood insurance. And, um, you know, because it, it just typically doesn't flood in a city. So... You know, a lot of folks were impacted by that, and it's it's kind of, you know, it's tough. And that was actually brought up in our class last night as well, is that, you know, uh, the immediate response from local communities and people, not just governmental agencies, but you had a lot of people that were giving, mm-hmm. you know, and actually responding to the needs uh, at that time. And thankfully, you know, people were in positions to do that. They didn't have to wait on government agencies. Yeah, this the last one here is about giving, and you're kind of speaking of that. There was a story um, that I saw about a police officer. I'm not sure where it was, but um, he had the unfortunate duty of going to tell the kids that their parents had been killed in a car wreck on Halloween. Halloween. That's right. Four kids. And so he went, instead of telling the four kids, Grandma was coming up, um, he actually put them in a patrol car, drove them around, did trick-or-treating, fed them, and so forth. But he also started a fund um, for the kids on, is it like GoFundMe site? $400,000. When you contribute to that, you don't get a tax write-off. When people and I've given money to oh, really? some of that stuff. That's just pure giving. It's at just its, pure giving. You know, and so four hundred thousand dollars people gave to those kids, and they don't get a tax write off. I mean, so there's a lot of giving people that are able to do that because it's awesome. It's structured right. So you know, I mean, Dave talks about you know broke people can't be generous with their monies. Now they can be with their time or their skills, um, but you know, if you have some some room in your finances to help people when they get into trouble like that, I think. America is is a giving society. I know Dave talks about people want to give. They just have no margin. Uh, they have no room in their in their in their finances to do that, right? And so that's where Dave's FPU class really comes in and helps people kind of free things up. That's a good point. Yeah. So um, you know, so here it is: debt free giving. Don't let money control your lives. Be grateful for what you have, whether it's thirty thousand income or three hundred, and um, have a plan financially, spiritually, you know, health wise, uh, family, and so forth. Those are the five traits of fulfilled people. And again, I know I think I put Dave in that category, um, but also I have people that I go to church with that I that I really respect, and I, I get that feeling from them as I spend time with them. So. Sure. I mean, you, you when you when you know successful people as we do in our business because we sit down with so many clients, um, you, you get that feeling. You, you see these traits lived out in their life, and it's consistent. You know, over you know really dozens of people that mm-hmm. you see. Yep. So I, I really believe those are. Those are very accurate. Okay, that's a good one, and that leads us up here to our break. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. Oh, 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 
Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey local provider, and Gordon Leppard, who is a financial advisor at Richard Young Associates. And we are going to continue our discussion here, um, actually starting some new topics. But we're going to start off here, though, with the prescription of the week. That's right. Steve, did you know, and John, did you know that what you post on Facebook could affect your credit score? Hmm. That's new. It really is, you know, and it's amazing because social media is starting to be used more and more by companies out there to vet all sorts of things. And, you know, there was a study here recently that says that, yeah, Facebook and other social media sites are being used for credit scores. Um, For instance, the word waste, if you have the people that use the word waste more have been shown to have worse credit uh, and, and be a higher credit risk than people that don't use that word. That's so they look for stupid words like that. Waste. Yeah, I know people know that social media, if you post something on there that's um, inappropriate, you know, pictures and so forth, that could impact their job search. But the credit piece of it is a new twist. I've never heard that before. It really is. Yeah. And I just read one this morning about medical, you know, underwriting of, of life insurance policies and things. They're starting to use some information out there on social media or data that's collected other ways yep. that makes its way to the Internet. So you got to be careful about everything you post now on social media. It also FICO and TransUnion, you know, so companies are starting to use it. So um, I'm not sure how to be careful on the words that you use. Just don't use the word wasted. We know that one. Don't use the word wasted or, yeah, yeah, overspent or, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know what word. Just got to be careful. Maybe just don't. Don't use it. (laughs) Don't use anything like that, right? Just talk about your picnic or something. That's right. Yeah, there you go. All right. That leads up to our last topic here, and that is the real-life investment tortoise. Um, Charles Allman. Yeah, this is an interesting story, Gordon. Mr. Charles Allman, you know, many people, they they probably haven't heard of him, but he is actually one of the most successful investment professionals of the 1960s, 70s, and 80s. He died earlier this month at the ripe old age of 94. Hmm. Mr. Allman, he he personified uh, the meaning of being an investment tortoise that proved a slow, steady approach, you know, leaning toward value, can win. You know, in this game. So, like I said, you know, few millennials especially have heard of him, and that's a shame because there's some powerful, powerful investment lessons that can be learned from his career. Sounds kind of like a Dave Ramsey, you know, comment, you know? Yeah. Tortoise in the hair. You know, Allman was a, a close follower of Benjamin Graham, who was the father of fundamental analysis, and uh, Benjamin Graham advocated buying only stocks that trade for significantly less than their net worth and then holding them for however long it takes for the rest of the equity market to appreciate their true value. And uh, though Allman mildly you know, relaxed Graham's criteria to favor faster-growing companies, he remained far closer to the value end versus the growth um, versus value spectrum than virtually any other advi- investment advisor in the industry. So a value investor. Which, yeah, which is exactly what we we recommend people, right. you know, weight their portfolios toward value. It has been proven by modern portfolio theory to give you a higher return. Um, yeah, and by the way, this comes out of a marketwatch.com, an article there. And, yeah, so if you consider Allman's uh, response, you know, in the late 1980s when the number of stocks satisfying his value criteria had shrunk to nearly zero, unlike many of his fellow advisors who became closet growth investors, um, you know, Allman, he stuck to his principles and he didn't cater to an investment 
uh, public that was increasingly bent on turning a quick profit. Instead, he stuck to the value approach. And while his position didn't make him very popular in the, you know, go-go 90s when everything was just taking off in the 1990s in the stock market, you know, his solid performance of the value positions that he held and he continued to invest, you know, along with the compounding and rebalancing, I mean, that kept him near the top of the Herbert Financial Digest performance ratings. And when he did retire in 2008, he was tied for second among their monitored services rating uh, for risk-adjusted performance over his 28-year period. So, you know, it's quite a testimony to just stick into your strategy, mm-hmm. weighting your portfolio toward value, which is exactly what we, we recommend. That's right. And, and here's three important, important uh, investment lessons that we can learn from his career. First off, you know, like you just said, slow and steady really can win. You know, staying in the game. Though Almond's approach was well behind, uh, you know, some of the buy and sell or buy, excuse me, buy and hold strategies at the bull market's peak of, say, you know, March 2000 and October of 2007, the bear markets that actually followed each of those tops pulled the broad market averages back down below his actual returns. Uh, so ask yourself, is the thrill of being ahead of the market at bull peaks enough to overcome the agony of being behind at bear market troves? Mm, I don't. I don't know. You know. I, I don't think so. Let that sink in for a minute. Yeah, you're talking about the volatility now. A oh yeah, bit, you know, huge standard deviation. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and and that's right. I mean, we we you know believe in diversification. You know, which is a little bit different than they did back in the, you know, when Benjamin Graham's time back in the 1930s and 40s. Um, but now we have the tools to be able to do that. And so, you know, I think it's very, very important, you know, that you follow this strategy of staying invested, as you, as you talked about there, Gordon, and, you know, not trying to time the market, not getting in and out. And then secondly, as they mentioned here, you know, you don't need to incur huge, huge amounts of risk to produce above average long-term returns. Um, you know, and this course, you know, runs counter to some of the conventional wisdom and strategies um, out there, but his record, you know, shows that that it wasn't always true um, as well. I mean, you know, he did he did produce good returns. In fact, it was one point seven percent less than the broad market averages, but it was fifty five percent less volatility hmm. than the averages, <clears throat> more so, than half. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, on a risk-adjusted basis, um, he actually was well ahead of the market. And that's the point here. I mean, you know, and we believe in the same thing. You can diversify, and if you diversify your portfolio and weight it toward value, in fact, you can get a, a, a lower return. I mean, you can you, – while your return might be a little bit lower, if you include bonds and other things in the portfolio, you can get a higher – higher risk-adjusted return right. than the market. Much, much lower volatility. Much lower volatility. Yeah, that's a good one. The, the third lesson here is um, has to do with the power of compounding. And, and, guys, we talk about this frequently. I mean, if you look at Almond's returns in any given year, they were never at the top, but he was also never at the bottom. Um, and as a result, his conservative strategy, it continued to propel his uh, his worth even higher, even though the markets gyrated wildly above and below. So, you know, the, he he probably was looking at modern portfolio theory that hadn't been developed yet, but he's looking at risk and return as a trade-off. That's right, and he just he just balanced things out there, and you know, lessened the volatility yeah. throughout those rides. Yeah, that's right. I mean, following his footsteps, Almond's footsteps, <clears throat> wouldn't be easier though. Easy though. I mean, 
the one-time Market Watch columnist Peter uh, Brimlow has described his approach as kind of a rifle shot, you know, or very focused, um, distinguishing it from the mechanical approaches that can more easily be duplicated. But, you know, out of the stocks that appear on the horizon, I mean, he would pull the trigger and he'd buy individual stocks. As we've said, though, he weighted his portfolio toward value. Today, you can diversify. You can weight your portfolio toward value in small. You can get a higher return without taking, yeah. you know, an inordinate amount of risk. You know who another, uh, you know, professional or somebody that people recognize is Buffett. He, yeah, he talks exactly. a lot about value stocks as well. But, um, you know, when you look at Almond, he took Graham's theories of, you know, fundamental investment strategies to a whole new level, right? Yeah, he did. And in his book, uh, Wall Street uh, Gurus, Brimlow, he quotes Almond as saying, and, and he's talking about a conversation that, that Graham um, and Almond had. So he, he quotes Almond as saying, Graham called me on the phone, as I recalled, around 1970. He said, I, I'm... I'm examining your strategies, and I've been very intrigued by what you're doing here. How are you spotting these values? Almond then said, Mr. Graham, I'm taking a lot of your own criteria and trying to crank it, uh, crank in my own value relative to growth potential. Then Graham, he replied and said, well, that's very intriguing. I think if I were young again, I might try, <laughs> I might try the same course uh, you're taking, and it sort of speeds things up. Hmm. So, you know, he actually got a compliment from someone that he, yeah. he looked up to in the investment industry there. But yeah. I, I think the slow and steady, you know, theme coming out of this is trying to get rich quick is um, is not a real good strategy. So, you know, buy stuff, uh, reinvest, rebalance, have a plan. Kind of what we talk to our clients about is is a great strategy. And Dave Ramsey obviously talks a lot about that as well. But you know, it takes time to build wealth. It's not a get rich. No, it's not. Um, you know, even Benjamin Graham in the seventies, you know, before his death, I mean, he he was quoted as saying, you know, the strategies he did back in his youth, you know, picking stocks does not work today. You know, he said you're. He said he thinks the market is pretty efficient. You are better off diversifying and getting a broad market return and weighting your portfolio toward value right. and the you know, asset classes to give you a higher return. So diversification really is always the key now, and so you need to. To stick with that, and um, but there's some great lessons to be learned here. All right, well that leads up to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next Saturday from nine to ten a.m. to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call at Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Have a good one. Enjoy the weekend. Ladies and gentlemen, material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed local provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, securities sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC.